This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we commence our review of The Chosen, starting with an overview of what the series is and discussing the first episode. You got it, Brent Billings. What should we talk about first? Talk about what this thing is, where to find it. Yeah, as far as the production itself, it's a, a little bit unusual, I think, so probably worth discussing um, how it might be distinct from previous uh, biblical storytelling ventures in in the Hollywood realm. Right. So this won't be a production that you can just go find on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon. They have their own self-contained app that you can get on mobile devices. I'm assuming access it elsewhere, maybe even at their site in different ways from a desktop or whatever else. But they, they are uh, supposedly the first crowd crowdsource funded crowdfunded um almost kickstarter-esque type uh pay it forward production so they raised a certain amount of money they started producing and now as people watch it it's free and they just encourage people to pay it forward to give money to support almost like you would like a nonprofit or those kind of things and they use those funds to produce more seasons as long as it continues to work that way which I really hope so. Number one, my OCD is just not going to handle it if they don't get all the way through the entire life of Christ. But number two, it's just re- really good. So I hope everybody keeps chipping in and it keeps spreading around and we get it taken care of. It'll be fun to watch the rest of the seasons. Yeah, as we record, season one uh, is complete. Season two is probably done filming. I'm sure they're in the editing process. I think they, by the time we release this episode, it... I believe they expect it to be out. Pretty sure their plan is Easter 2021. So by the time you're hearing us talk about this, I believe season two will be available. And uh, we'll talk about that in due time, I'm sure. But It will at least be imminent. Yeah, and then I think ultimately they have seven seasons planned. So as long as the funding continues to, to work as well as it seems like it has so far, uh, I think you know it's going to work out. And I sure hope it does because I have been quite impressed so far yeah i've i've really enjoyed what we're uh seeing in this like uh, there's just so many things that i'm sure that's the whole reason we're going to be chatting but usually i'm not i don't know some people and i'm a sucker for i don't wow oh man what am i trying to say here brent billings I, i'm a sucker for bad tv but i also don't gravitate towards christian bible shows and movie production that's just not typically my jam stuff that i've seen before there's there's always been some good elements like they've had good actors or they've had you know good effects i don't know if i I want to go that far but like the the production quality has you know been reasonable in many cases and and there have been good elements here and there but this is the first one where i feel like wow, the casting is really good. The writing is really good. The directing is really good. Like all of the elements have somehow seemed to come together in this case. And and it's just really compelling. So that's why we're here. I've been, yeah, I've been captured by the character development. And that will be hard not to talk about towards these first few episodes because I just love how over the season some of these characters develop. So I'm going to try to keep my comments 
limited until they're more appropriate. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Oh, and by the way, uh, this will be basically a spoiler-ridden uh, synopsis of the entire episode. So especially this first episode, I think, uh, being more character development, not so much uh, based in the text, like... This is, we're, we're definitely going to ruin almost everything in this episode. So uh, please watch the episode before you listen to our episode about it. And, uh, and then we'll continue from there. You can find uh, links on, on how to find it and watch it in the show notes. So pause at this moment. So here we go. Spoilers commencing now. Yeah, so maybe to start, I'll just read the, I don't know, for lack of a better word, disclaimer that they put at the beginning of the first episode, um, and we can kind of talk about like what the approach is. Uh, it says, you know, as soon as you start up the episode, it says, The Chosen is based on the true stories of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Some locations and timelines have been combined or condensed. Backstories and some characters or dialogue have been added. However, all biblical and historical context and any artistic imagination are designed to support the truth and intention of the scriptures. Viewers are encouraged to read the Gospels. The original names, locations, and phrases have been transliterated into English for anything spoken. Uh, which that one is not quite true at the, at the end there. There are some things like Shabbat they use in the original um, Hebrew pronunciation. There's a few other things, uh, which, which I actually like a lot because they don't necessarily explain everything. They kind of force you to dig into it a little bit, which uh, is very, uh, Bama style thing to do. So, uh, we like that, but yeah, what do you, what do you think about this approach? Well, just generally speaking, after watching the first season, uh, they've, I think they've nailed what they said they were setting out to do. And that doesn't mean I, uh, I agree with every single nuance. Well, I'm sure we'll kind of talk about some of those things as we go through this, but they, what they said they were going to do, I think they've done really well. And one of the things that makes this approach better than so many other like Life of Christ productions that I've seen is they just decided to, this is going to be a, 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 what would you call this, Brent? A fictional, dramatic presentation of the life, the life of Christ. So you have the statements that come directly from the text, but I feel like the thing that makes all the other productions so awkward is they're like, they're trying to add stuff to make it to where it can be a film but they're trying to stay like as close as they can to the biblical text. So all the words that come out of everybody's mouth seems to be like a little stilted, a little like just a little forced. And where this one, it's just like, no, we're just going to watch a, a, a dramatic, f the, the fictional dramatic backstory that is designed to represent the way the world was and what could have lied behind. They've done that approach just super well. And I think preserved, and I'm going to be biased because they preserve so many of my own personal opinions that I feel like don't get preserved elsewhere. So that's why I'm going to love it. Did I answer that question well? Yeah. And they, so they have um, some consultants on the, the show. They have uh, a Catholic priest, um, uh, I believe a Messianic rabbi, Messianic Jewish rabbi, and then uh, an evangelical scholar. And uh what they were having a discussion and, and the rabbi commented that he felt like the way they're doing it is sort of a Christian midrash on the gospels, which I thought was a helpful description. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I'll probably hate that the more I think about it. But right now I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like <laughs> I mean, it's it's certainly not to the uh, it's not the same level of authority. We're not talking about thousands of years of <laughs> conversation, um, not not that level of midrash. But the idea is like we take whatever elements we find in the text and we try to figure out how those things fit into the story. And so that's where, where this backstory comes from. So, yeah. So let's uh, let's walk through the episode. I think. Um, okay. So you, you, it starts off um, Magdala in two BC, and it's this father and daughter uh, sitting at the campfire. Uh, the dad is coughing, and and so was, you know that's obviously the cue that he's going to die soon. Um, and then you know this is like it's twenty seconds into the thing, and then it cuts to the shot of this big like cheesy star and i was like oh my gosh is this what the whole thing is going to be like but it's like it's such a short um a, a short frame and and so it's like well i understand why they had to make the star really big but i i have a hard time like thinking like the star would actually have been that prominent just because there's no light pollution like the stars are going to be incredible all the time and it doesn't have to be that that crazy bright like almost a sun a night sun you know so i thought that was a little cheesy but i understand why they did it because it was such a such a short moment and you need to be able to to recognize like oh something's different there so did they i I haven't watched the christmas episode that they did uh brent have you you said you watched it is there a tie-in there like if you were to put the christmas episode right before that is that uh, I, like does I haven't actually watched that one yet either. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm, but spoiler alert: we may get back to that at a more appropriate time. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert! Indeed, even for me, I love that idea. Um, so yeah, because I wonder if that's a, if there's a tie in there with a star that you know ties into that episode, and you're like, oh, I get it. This is happening at the same time. Uh, yes, I, I totally resonate with everything you shared there. I, I loved you know that little opening scene. Uh, it demonstrates just the constant, like, I think we fail to sometimes remember just how constant tragedy was, like mortality, like lifespans were shorter, mortality rates were so much higher. Is that the right way to phrase that? Mortality rates being higher? Does that mean yeah, yeah. higher? De- so sickness, I mean, that, that, that was just such a, that's, that is a very believable, that doesn't have to be like a far-fetched one in a hundred that... That is a very constant experience in their day. And I also loved, uh, you know, I don't know how much they thought about some of these details, but it would also explain why Mary Magdala seems to be living on her own. Uh, like, how does a woman, how, how does she have her own, like, self? If she, if, if she came from a family where her father passed and there were no siblings and she received that, you know, that would explain why she's able to, to live on her own in a place like Magdala, uh, you know, seems to be more maybe have more Herodian leanings from what we know. And we don't, Magdala is a very active dig right now. We're still learning a ton about Magdala, but it seems like maybe there was some affluence and some money there. So eh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I like that. And she comes to her dad and, and says she's scared and, and, uh, and she doesn't, she's scared of what she doesn't know or whatever. And it's, it's like, are they alluding to her demon possession at this point? And I don't know if that, I wasn't quite sure where to fall on that because it kind of seems like she sort of took a dark path after her father died. And so I don't know exactly what they were getting at there. You can interpret that how you want. but And I don't know if she takes a dark path, but let's come back to that later in the episode because it gives you some cutscenes and some backstory that I think 
because usually we picture, we do portray Mary Magdalene as like this dark path character. And I kind of fundamentally disagree with that take. And, but the, but the, the episode gave lots of room to redeem that a little bit. So I like, but we'll get to that later. So then her dad is quoting Isaiah 43 to comfort her. Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Come now. I want to hear you sing. I want to hear your pretty voice. Come. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. That's right. Uh, which, you know, obviously is, is going to be a... Uh, what we see at the end of the episode with her encounter with Jesus. But I'm, I'm wondering if that particular passage uh, has some significance that I don't realize is there, or if that's just what, you know, that's just a passage that worked well for, for the episode. I would assume kind of the latter. I mean, it comes from the servant discourse, which is going to culminate in the suffering servant. So I can imagine somebody, uh, a Jewish family leaning into that whole portion of Isaiah as they suffer under Roman oppression I could, I, uh, that's again, one of those like believable, not just totally random, but also maybe, maybe a little bit more like yeah, somewhat random passage, but believable for sure. I mean, as we've talked about, they all knew their text pretty well. So for them to be able to pull something out uh, at the appropriate moment sure. when, you know, when your daughter's scared of something and, and you need, you know, so yeah, definitely believable there. I just wanted to, to make sure there wasn't some extra significance that I wasn't aware of. So uh, then, then we cut to, uh, Mary waking up, it says Capernaum 28 years later. So, uh, quite a bit of time has passed. We don't know about her father, uh, being dead yet. Like this is just one scene to the next. And then, uh, this man runs out screaming for help and Mary looks down and sees blood and he's, he, we see him running through the market. He's kind of stumbling around. Uh, says so she tried to kill me, uh, the Roman soldier that he, who runs into, uh, is a little upset, but then maybe a little bit bothered by the situation. Um, which I'm not sure. I, I feel like the, the Roman idea would be like, if somebody like bumps into you, you're just going to kill them. Right. Like that's kind of more the idea I get with it, but maybe that, maybe that's a little extreme. Yeah. Yeah. They probably wouldn't have just lashed out and killed people. They have to keep up. There's a certain politic and a certain political, uh, reality they gotta maintain it to not just spur on unrest but uh yeah i thought that was done yeah yeah good so then uh goes to the opening credits and they've got the the fish graphics um which i think they probably didn't spend too much money on which is probably a wise choice i think they (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's simple and it works and it gets the names across and, uh, and, and they put their money to better use in other places, I think. So that's probably a good point. My daughter loves the opening song. Oh gosh. She just loves it. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The music's great. And uh, I love that the credits are not over. Like you just get to like pause for a moment and think about what just happened. You get to you know reorient yourself for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm all about it. Uh, so then then we start uh, after the credits with Nicodemus traveling, uh, and then he's stopped by uh, Romans, and Quintus comes up and he immediately reminded me of the character Q from Star Trek: The Next Generation. 
And so I immediately hated him, which I don't know if that's what they were going for, but I think it's probably uh, the right setup. But he he specifically mentions the Sadducees, Essenes, and Zealots, which I thought was pretty cool little call out there. Absolutely. Yep. I did appreciate that. Definitely made me feel like they were doing their research as they were writing this, uh, writing the show. And, uh, and he also mentions a rogue preacher in the wilderness raving about the coming Messiah. So I am not that far, but I assume he's talking about John the Baptist. We'll, we'll find out, I'm sure. And then, uh, he, he says, uh, to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, he says, I, I will help the Pharisees continue to thrive. Uh, if you can help us, you know, collect the taxes that we're trying to collect. And, uh, and then there's, there's the, uh, question about, uh, Quint, so Quintus has the riddle, you know, what is under the water, but never drowns. And Nicodemus is like fish. And so, you know, I think we find out that the, the fishing is where they're feeling like they're being shorted on their taxes. So then, um, cuts to Matthew getting dressed for work. Uh, seems like he's putting on some perfume or something on his wrist. He's got this wide selection of sandals. Uh, he has a servant waiting for him with his bags. He has a really fancy door lock. And I was wondering about the door. Like, is that, would that be the kind of hardware that they would have? I, I never imagined like that sort of fanciness, but he has like a lock and key. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if you have any insights on that, on, on whether that's like out of place or if that's, you know, what you might expect to see for someone of, of wealth in their time. Yeah, absolutely. They did a great job uh, portraying that in my mind. Um, both Matthew's opulence, uh, his his palatial estate that he lives in, and, and the very wealthy quarter of Capernaum or wherever they are portraying him. And uh, yeah, the door lock, that was the kind of door locks they would have had when they had them. Um, obviously a luxury uh, and a necessity for those in that quarter, I'm sure. But yeah, uh, that, that I think that was absolutely appropriate as far as historical accuracy. Yeah, that's a good point. He, he probably um, has problems with people breaking into his house. Yeah, he needs not only an opulent estate, but a secure one based on who he is. So that's important for him. Yeah, and it kind of seems like he's just generally a fish out of water wherever he is living because he comes out of his house and walks around the corner and there's, you know, a, a pile of rats there digging around in something. And so he's distracted by that and then steps in a pile of manure and, and ruins uh, a pair of his sandals. And so he's like, you know, he's in this spot where he's wealthy and he's got all this stuff, but he's not, not in his, in his really a comfortable place for him. And then he throws the sandals away, which I thought was like, a nice little remez, um, perhaps. And, and then he's got this guy who is, uh, hauling him over to his tax collector booth because he doesn't want to walk through the market and, uh, and be seen by all the people because they, they treat him pretty poorly. I love how it sets up this. You don't find this in the text, but again, it would make a ton of historical sense. This really OCD nature of Matthew germaphobe, uh, hates, uh, bad smells, uh, bad, you know, throws the sandals away because they got manure on them. Like, uh, he, he, like all throughout the series, you'll see that you know he's good with numbers. He's like very analytical, overly obsessive, compulsive, and it just plays really well into what we do know about Matthew biblically. So I love that backstory. One of my favorite favorite backstories of the of the series so far so then we've got nicodemus uh he is now in capernaum on his uh annual visit apparently uh i guess he 
supposedly lives in Jerusalem. I don't know if that is in the text or not. Was that something that a detail that they pulled out or? Well, if he's a member of the Sanhedrin, he's probably going to, I don't, I don't know if we know that in the text, but it'd be a good historical, one of the assumptions that would make sense. So he's sitting there with some other teachers, uh, other Pharisees, and, you know, he makes a bad joke about the Dead Sea and they kind of give him, you know, the courtesy laugh or whatever. And, and, uh, and then he moves on to his point, like those who do the fishing in Galilee are, are sinners. They're fishing on Shabbat and Messiah will not come until this wickedness is purged. And, uh, it definitely feels like a pharisaical mindset. Like, Hey, our, our problem is obedience here. Absolutely. And one of my favorite quotes that comes out of that conversation, uh, he says the reverse of what Jesus will end up saying in, in the gospels, what goes into the body of a man is what defiles him. Like if you eat this fish caught on Shabbat. Uh, can we eat this fish? Of course not, Nicodemus says. Like, it's what goes into a man that defiles him. And and obviously, Jesus in the New Testament is going to end up saying the opposite. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of his heart, Jesus is going to say. So a cool little, who knows what they'll do with that later in the series, but a, a very cool little, um, and, and then and then in the New Testament, obviously, uh, you know, eat whatever you want is sold in the market. Like, everything is going to be backwards from this worldview that we're hearing uh, from this Pharisee worldview. And yet it's one that hopefully, I'm assuming almost all of us can absolutely relate to. Like we've, most of us that probably listen to this are somewhat connected to an evangelical movement that gravitates to this kind of mindset. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved it. So then uh, we see Shmuel and Yusuf uh, making preparations for Nicodemus to to visit. And uh Nicodemus comes in uh, a fine Torah room is the heartbeat of a worthy synagogue. Like definitely, you know, they're going to be focused on the text. Like, I think that would be a natural thing for him to comment on immediately. Clothing is great, by the way, in this whole, this whole ordeal mm. from peasants to Pharisees to like the, the clothing is just spot on historically for me. So, um, then Nicodemus, you know, directs Shmuel directly and, and says, uh, and says, you know, you, you heard me talking about fishing on Shabbat in general, but but I was actually saying that to you, you need to deal with this. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll deal with it. And then, you know, Centurion comes barging in at that point and says, hey, we've got this woman in the red quarter and uh, it's definitely a problem for us. And Nicodemus says, you know, we don't really spend time in the red quarter. That's not really who we are. Uh, and the Roman says, well, if you don't come, then we're going to just burn the whole place down. And so Nicodemus, you know, reluctantly agrees to go with him there. I love the little quip of how they keep calling him teacher of teachers. And we will burn it with our fire of fires. <laughs> yeah, that's a great line. <laughs> very, very clever Roman retort. But yeah, and I love the depiction of that as they go to the Red Quarter. Just the, they did a good job depicting the socioeconomic realities of that portion of the world. Like you have your red quarter where the poor and the outcast and, and then you have the, the more wealthy and the wealthy quarters and, and all these different, but you really get a sense for like, man, if you're poor enough that you live in more of the red quarter, it makes it hard to be devout. Like there's a socioeconomic reality that has been created and is then like pushed and propagated by the very people who point their fingers, like the very Pharisees that say, well, those are the sinners that are keeping the kingdom of God away. But they actually prop up systems that just keep them, like it's not easy to live in the red quarter and follow cleanliness law. It's not easy to live in the red quarter and 
be Torah observant. Um, so I'm sure there's no relevance uh, for that today. I'm sure we don't do any of that, right, Brent? No, no, of course not. <laughs> but they did get they did get a job uh, a good job of that though. Between Matthew and the opulence and the wealthy and even Nicodemus and and then the red quarter and they they did that well. So then uh, we see Matthew arriving at the market. Um, his his uh, transportation is unwilling to take him through the crowd because there's too many people. Uh, so they let him out. But so we see Matthew starting to walk through. We see Romans patrolling. We see uh, the people are are calling out Matthew and spitting on him. Uh, he walks by, uh, I believe, a blind beggar uh, who grabs. Uh, the edge of his garment and, and says, are you the Messiah? Uh, and he's like, no, of course not. And, uh, he's like, well, let me know when, when he shows up. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting that, that there's just like this eminent, like, like, I, I think he's going to show up soon and, and he could be walking by me right now. And I thought that was an interesting perspective. And I kind of feel like we're going to see this guy show up again later, but I don't know yet. Yep. But the, yeah, there's an excellent, uh, the, again just the way they depicted tax collectors and the public's like people are shouting at him and calling him names the guy spits at his feet as he walks by um the danger that matthew feels having to get to the tax collector's booth like they just did again really great job just depicting how society saw somebody like matthew so that's a good job so next up uh nicodemus and his uh crew are arriving in the red quarter and you know he seems pretty troubled by what he's seeing just in general just the people walking around everything is a little bit dirtier uh the clothes that the people are wearing are are not as nice they're a little more torn up he's kind of just looking around in general bewilderment but then he starts hearing the screaming in the distance and and everyone starts to look more or less afraid and and nicodemus seems to be like Oh, we need we need some stuff. Shmuel, will go get me sulfur, nettles, hyssop, and wormwood. And uh, I don't know if there's anything specific that you want to call out as far as those ingredients or are those found in the text somewhere as far as what he's trying to accomplish. Yeah, some of those are found in the text. You're going to find those in uh, just the Levitical code, the Holiness code, and how to make something clean. Not all of them, but some of them. And it, again, it represented. Um, uh, if somebody were to read, say, a book like Every Man's Talmud, Every Man's Talmud by Abraham Cohen, we can put that in the show notes. Um, we, you'll, there's a whole section in there about like the superstition of Second Temple Judaism, and there was always this combination of like, especially when it came to to the demonic, to uh, physical health or any of those things, medical anything. You, there was always this combination of things we find in Torah. And then a little bit of superstition mixed in to, to kind of bring this whole thing. And you and you see that you see elements that okay, uh, these things are rooted in the Levitical code, but you also have you can sense you can just feel relatively obviously that there's a there's also some superstition lying behind how these things are used and how they work. And I'm sure those things are even true of us today in just different ways. But yes, absolutely, those are good accurate. Uh, representation of how they would have approached that. So then the centurion who's with him um, kind of turns to him and was like, okay, all right, get on with it, do your job. And uh, Nicodemus kind of has this uh, little monologue. He goes on like, look, we're not, you know, we have, we have our own jobs to do and we have our own things. And I'm, I'm doing this as a courtesy to you. This is not normal. 
blah, blah, blah. This is, this is just an exception. And the centurion's like, yeah, yeah, okay. So get on with it. <laughs> uh, which I thought was an interesting like dynamic. I, I, I assume because he is, you know, a man of power in the, in the ruling class that he has some immunity to, uh, being bossed around by the Romans, but effectively he knows like, you know, I, I really do need to do this at this point. I've been, I had, I had my other appointments. I had my other things I was trying to do and I've been dragged out by this guy. And so, you know, that, that compulsion is there or whatever. Right. Uh, so then we cut to Simon, our first view of Simon. He's in a, a circle, uh, of a bunch of guys and he's fighting, uh, Jehoshaphat who we learned to be, uh, Eden's brother, Eden being Simon's wife, lots of, lots of, uh, character introductions here andrew is off to the side making signals to him um apparently making bets uh as they go and and trying to time everything right trying to have simon get in and out of the fight at just the right time so they can make the most money and there's a bit of, there's a bit of a hustle taking place and yet i saw like jacob overtones like jacob and levon Back in Genesis, there's a you know that that kind of thing. Can I just I'm just going to interject here. Can I just say how much I hate the Simon backstory? Um, <laughs> okay, all right. Was just not now. Having said that, I just love the character development. Having said that, I hate where they're making Simon come from. I love who Simon is throughout the series and how they'll how they'll use Peter in that regard. But they they basically make Simon kind of like this scoundrel who doesn't really care about God and obviously playing into the he blurts out, he's impulsive, and we've obviously, if you've listened to the podcast, you know how much I hate that perception of Peter. I don't think that's who Peter was at all. Um, so uh, just can't stand the backstory of Peter being this scoundrel, half-sinner, whatever. Like, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, okay. But then after that, I love it. So now I've gotten that off my chest, I'll be able to move on. So yeah, continue. <laughs> so, uh, so he ultimately, you know, pops up at, at the time appointed by Andrew and, and, uh, comes back at, at Joe's fat, uh, Jiho, I think they called him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously they know each other. So like there's, there's some familiarity there. Um, but he's like, this is why they call me wine hands because of what I do to your liver. And it's like, well, that was kind of a weird <laughs> <laughs> which Andrew does address later. He's like, wine hands? What are you talking about? Right. Uh, uh, but then, but then turns out Eden has another brother, uh, Abraham, apparently. And uh, he comes in and just wipes Simon out completely. And and then it cuts to Andrew just handing over the money. And they, they did not, uh, did not make out very well on that situation. Nope. So uh, then they move on to the Sea of Galilee and uh, they're talking about, taxes that are coming and and andrew's like we could lose our boat uh it makes a reference to like uh getting blood from a stone and then simon's like well the the pharisees make allowances for fishing on shabbat if lives are at stake and andrew's like well lives are not at stake here and then uh simon says tell your are you going to tell your bug eating friend about it and i was wondering what that reference was uh well it's i'm pretty sure it's a hint to john the baptist like we're kind of jumping ahead to later episodes, but we're going to hear Andrew come back having met Jesus while he's hanging out with John the Baptist. So okay, I think Peter's like, oh, you're going to run off and tell John the Baptist, your religious fanatic friend that you have, that I'm out here breaking rules and, and 
So, yeah. And again, just wonderfully. So there's very little text here in this first opening episode or two as they just build the backstory. But like we're not talking biblical story text for a little while in the series. But man, just such a good job representing the world of the Gospels, the potential backstory of the kind of things that they would have experienced. Uh, great like networking of different characters and pulling in how are they going to get Andrew and Peter to Jesus and having heard John the Baptist and just great work there. I loved it. And uh, the idea, you know, they say at the end of the scene, Andrew, Andrew says to Simon, like, you're crazy. And Simon's like, no, nah, I'm just desperate. And I think that was in in the round table, the, the rabbi was saying, look, there's no way that Simon is going to be out there fishing on Shabbat. There's just no way he would do that. And so I think, um, you know, he, he agrees like you, you could do it out of extreme desperation, but the desperation level that we're talking about is so extreme. Like it's just the rabbi could not handle that element of the story. So I think his line that is just like, no, I'm desperate. Like that's, that was the writer's attempt to, uh, address that concern. But yeah, you know, obviously breaking Shabbat is a very serious offense. So maybe a little bit tough to swallow there on that part of the story. Yeah. So then we, we cut back to the red quarter and Nicodemus is, uh, getting ready to, um, to go in and see what's going on. And, uh, he's talking to, um, Mary's friend Rivka and, and says, how long has she been like this? And it's like, look, she's been like this a long time, but it's, it's just these short spells. And then, and then she's fine. And, uh, they introduced that name Lilith that her name is Lilith at this point. And I don't, I don't know. I, I'm assuming I, I made some assumptions maybe when I was watching, uh, of who was what and what was going on. So I'm not sure if they ever actually said the name Mary until later in the episode, but, uh, who we will know as Mary is, is currently called Lilith. So the Romans knock open the door, Nicodemus enters, uh, with his other buddies and they've got incense and, Nicodemus is calling out the demons and, and Mary is struggling on the floor screaming. And then, uh, you know, he finishes talking and, and she kind of pauses and pulls herself up. And then, and then you get this like low, you know, demonic voice. We are not afraid of you. You have no power here, teacher. Nicodemus just kind of runs away. Yeah. there. Oh gosh. There's so many things in this scene that I have written down as far as notes. Um, uh, you, you see all kinds of stuff that you'd find in the Apocrypha with Second Temple Judaism. Like he's calling on, like he starts calling on the angels. He comes in like, he starts with angels like Gabriel and, and Raphael and Michael and and all these like apocryphal references that aren't necessarily in your Bible. Some of them are like Gabriel, but you find those references more in apocryphal works like Book of Daniel, but then other apocryphal works like Enoch and those guys. Talks about the Watchers at one point, which again, that that's like a callback to the Nephilim and and Noah and and that stuff that we've already talked about here in session six. Uh, then he calls on like the patriarchs and like he's calling on all these names, which I thought was a great artistic play, like the name, the, these names and these names and these names. And what about these names? And how about these names? And he just keeps calling on different parts of Jewish thought and history. And, and he finally gets to like the name of God, like on the name. And, and yet, and yet there isn't like we're missing a name, like almost like in the book of Revelation, like no one was worthy to open the scroll. Like he's even calling on the name of God. And yet there's something here that's 
we're still missing something that has the ability to deal. I mean, the demon says you have no, like that quote, like you have no power here, teacher. And, and, and that, I mean, that depicts really well in, in Jesus's day in second temple Judaism, like miracles were not, we've talked about this before, Brent, miracles were not a big deal for second temple Judaism. Like we make far too big of a deal about miracles. And yet one miracle that is outside the realm of what uh, human servants, human partners of God can do is true demonic control, demonic exorcism. Like that's that's something only God can do. And Nicodemus is going to say that by the time the episode is over. Like only this kind of demonic oppression, only like if it's a light kind of demonic oppression, oh, maybe there's some hope there. Maybe they have some practices. Maybe the Pharisees have some, But this kind of demonic oppression, Nicodemus is going to say, only which is going to obviously raise a bunch of questions when all throughout your Gospels, Jesus is just a great, I mean, with Jesus healing demons, such a great, so just, I thought that was a great artistic scene where he's calling on all these names and yet he's missing the one name that's going to end up having, it's going to be the name of Jesus. It's going to have, so I also loved Brent, how they blurred the lines of what the demonic exactly was like, and they did a beautiful job blurring those lines. Um, cause that the whole thing is kind of blurry for me. Like, I don't really know exactly what I think about the demonic realm. Like I, I'm sure we have listeners that have had their own experiences. I, I've even had my own experiences in the pastoral ministry with stuff that I would call very demonic and stuff that I really, I can't explain with my logical academic brain. I'm sure we also have listeners that are like, oh man, that that's just flat out crazy. Like there's a million ways to explain this. And, and in that period of second temple Judaism, there was a million things that they would have called the demonic mental illness, things like epilepsy or uh, schizophrenia or things that we understand today by other labels, they would have accurately called demonic. Like, what is that? That's not the realm of life and resurrection, and that's the realm of brokenness and of death. And so even on some level, an accurate, you know, uh, identification with what we would call uh, not shalom, like there's something. So they did a great job. I mean, they also showed like some of, I think this might even come up in a, in a, in a scene here in a moment, but Mary reflecting on her own backstory, uh, gives you the impression that what she could be dealing with here is a lot of PTSD. Like she's been, she's had the death of her, like she has been a woman of grief. Like are her seven demons that we learn about in the gospel of Luke, seven demons, like demon demons, or are they also like, could they also be like seven de- This woman has been a woman of great sorrow. She lost her father. She's an orphan. She's been sexually assaulted by Roman soldiers, not in the biblical text, but in the, in the show. So she has this PTSD at work. Like, and they just did, I thought they did a really great job blurring the lines of there's something going on here. It's demonic. And yet also like not making it just this crazy, far-fetched, fanatical, demonic possession. It was also just very real. Like I could see this, this week, if I went out and, and was ministering to somebody in my own church, This, this could be a real, they did a great job with that. In my opinion, in my opinion. There you go, Brent. Yeah, and it seems like when Nicodemus, like when she speaks and says, we are not afraid of you, like that's the point when he runs out. Right. I, I think he he realizes like, okay, there's a substantial amount of uh, 
evil going on here or whatever. And he, he's just, right. you know, so, uh, after that we cut to, uh, the, the title says Shabbat morning and we see Simon, uh, walking into town. He's got a bucket and he enters his house quietly, washes his feet with a cloth, uh, starts walking over to what, what seems like maybe his kitchen. And then like Eden pops out and she's like, what's going on with you fighting my brothers? And he's like, well, well you know, he starts, you know, explaining things. And, and then apparently she was joking. She can't keep a straight face for too long. Starts laughing about it. And, and, uh, you know, she makes comments like, you know, Simon, you're stoic, uh, which is, is not how I am, but together we're perfection. Uh, we see them kiss and they just have, you know, this nice intimate moment. And, and it seems like, oh, okay, these two are like, you know, they've, they've got each other, others back. And, uh, and then she's like, Hey, you need to, you need to get cleaned up, uh, because we've got uh Shabbat dinner coming up and, and you smell like fish and, uh, or I guess not Shabbat dinner, but, uh, whatever they're doing, she's like, you need to get, you need to get cleaned up because you still smell like fish. And she assumes that he was fishing the day before Shabbat and does not assume that he has been doing something that he shouldn't be doing yet. So, uh, it's interesting to see her kind of lose her faith and trust in him a little bit as, as things continue on here. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts about, uh, nope. about Eden and her character. I, I, I just really like, you know, her portrayal so far, but, uh, yeah, completely, uh, imagine there we have no, um, no record of her in the text as far as anything, right? Yeah, great character development, though. I really appreciate how they'll draw that. Yeah, it's just, it's, I don't have a problem with it at all. It's fantastic. Love it. So after that, we do have the the flashback scene um, with Mary where she's thinking about her father. And then, um, you know, she, she goes back to her home, starts to clean up, uh, sees the doll, um, pulls the parchment out. You know, we, we see that flashback of, of her seeing her dad uh, die in his bed and, and they cover him up and then she pulls the, the parchment, uh, parchment papyrus. I'm not sure what that little piece would be that she pulled out of the doll. Well, she tears it like paper. So I would assume that we're going to be talking about papyrus in that regard, but I don't know. Okay. It's a great question. Yeah. So, so she tries to read it and, uh, and then has the flashback of the Roman soldier grabbing her and, and taking her into the room and, uh, you know, as he, as he approaches her, he kind of blocks the light from the door. And so she's kind of in, enshrouded in darkness. And, and that was the, the moment that the director said like that, that was where they were saying her demon possession began was in that moment. Um, again, you know, up to interpretation, he also made it sound like that, uh, oh, maybe she was sexually assaulted. Maybe not. It's like, what, what, what do you think the Roman soldier is going to do there? I thought that was very clearly what they were communicating. So I'm not sure why he was, um, hedging on that a little bit. Um, yeah, but yeah, so then she's, she's trying to read, uh, off of this paper and it's the Isaiah 43 passage and she, she just can't get the words out at all. And she, she rips it up, uh, which that seemed like, man, I can't like, just, it seems like the paper would be so valuable for her to rip it like that would be you know, that, that really communicates something. Yeah. That, yeah. That would be a big deal. And not that it's like, they, not that they would have held it with the same, you know, sanctity as an, like an actual scroll of text, but yeah, I mean, yeah, to have that written down on a paper that seems to be passed down from her childhood. That's a, 
Yeah, that was a big moment for sure. So then she heads over to uh, the bar, which they call the Hammer, which is a great name for a bar, I think. Sure, right. And uh, and and she knocks on the door and says like Havarim Makabah or something like that. I don't know if I wasn't sure what that was. They didn't explain that at all. Well, that's going to be so Havarim would be uh, like the friends of Maccabee. The bar's named after Judah Maccabee the Hammer, so friends of the Hammer. Um, I, I'm assuming it's a password. They, they don't want anybody coming into this. So in order to get into the bar, you have to utter that would have been, that's very historically accurate. You'd, you'd utter a password to be given entrance. So she's got the Havarim friends, uh, of the, of the Maccabees friends of friends of Judah friends of the, bar. and it could just be reference to the bar name. Like the bar could be named after Judah Maccabee, the hammer friends of the hammer. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, so then she goes in and, um, bartender his name is soul offers her a drink and uh he's like you know this is a little bit of prevention she's like there's no preventing what happened like they sent a holy man maybe from jerusalem he's a leader of the pharisees and he's like one religious big shot just as full of it as the next no i am in hell the whole bar goes quiet and i was like wow what a like for her to like snap far enough out of it to realize like she is in a serious serious way here and uh then then she takes her doll out and says here give this to your turn to your nephew and uh then the patrons the other patrons of the bar start uh calling for drinks and uh, they refer to the bartender as a eunuch so i assume that's why uh she says the doll is for his nephews because he doesn't have any of his own children right um and he's like look you know i I promise like we'll whatever you got to face we'll face it together and uh, she's like, no, you, uh, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. So she slams down the drink and uh, walks out. And then uh, we have Nicodemus and Zohara, uh, his wife, preparing for Shabbat dinner. And, oh, man, she's she's like, you, you know, you got to be, be ready for this stuff. He's still distracted from the previous encounter with Mary. And, uh, and, and she's, Zohara says, you know, you have to, you have to, you know, do your thing for these people there. They have lots of expectations. You're, you're here from, uh, Jerusalem. You're really important. And he's like, why must I perform? And I love this line. Probably my favorite line of the whole episode. When did Shabbat become theater? You are the teacher of Israel. When did Shabbat become theater? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> absolutely absolutely talk about a uh, conviction for modern day listeners Whew. yeah and, and and then right after that the conversation moves to one of my favorite lines where he talks about what if what if the torah like he asked her to come over and look in the mirror and like what do you see well i see blurry it's a cheap mirror which i thought was fantastic because mirrors alone are a luxury in their world and they've got a cheap mirror in their opulence but you know, and he says what if that's what torah is like what if what if what we see in the law what if we see in torah i wonder if what we can know of Adonai and the law, it's just as blurred. But the real thing is like so much more beautiful. And I thought, oh man, like Nicodemus is such a great, such an educated, such a religious, devout person. And yet he's been humbled and he's open. He's open just enough. There's just enough cracks that he's asking these unbelievably uh, beautiful questions. And then her response, oh, I felt this in my gut. Uh, never utter those things in public. Yeah, And I just thought, oh gosh, how often have I felt like that's either been said to me literally and directly or indirectly in my career? Like you don't, there are certain things that you wrestle with 
do you, you do not. And there will be no doubt by the time we're done with this little commentary series here, Brent, I resonate in this and season one, especially Nicodemus is the character that I connect with the most. Like that is the person that I'm like, that that's my experience. That is my, that's my, he, he contains the, the character and the struggle of who I am and the tension that I live in. And I don't say that as like, look at me. I say that as a man. I, I wish I was a Peter. I wish I were James and John. I wish I were these disciple characters. I, I don't relate to them as much as I relate to Nicodemus. So uh, I'll just have like all these thoughts whenever it comes to Nicodemus scenes, but you'll have to stop me. Yeah. This, this actor, Eric Avari is the only actor I recognized. Um, from previous works and i think i know him from mr deeds which is a a much goofier role i, I really really think the role <laughs> of nicodemus is is far more dignified and i think he's fantastic yeah yeah and uh yeah his his wife's response is like you know that might even be blasphemy so you know he's like well but a man is free to question his heart she's like then leave it in your heart you know right and then right. That, that line you said you know don't ever say that in public. Right. Like you have, you have an image to uphold. You have a role to fulfill. They're not looking for a, a doubting blasphemous Pharisee. They're looking for someone who can lead in confidence or whatever. So, uh, you know, she's trying to encourage him, but I think she's also like kind of holding him back from, from what he's, you know, ultimately trying to, to get to with his understanding of, of what God is doing in the world. Whew. All right. Quit talking about that, Brent. You're convicting me. Got to move okay, on. All right. I'm glad my wife is not like, like I don't say that because my wife is the same way. Like I'm, My wife is so supportive of all these things. But man, the church culture and world I'm a part of, whew, stop it. Next scene. <laughs> so then we have sort of a little montage. Uh, Matthew's coming in for another day of work. We see Andrew leaving his house and he, he's got his money purse and uh, Simon is kind of sneaking out while Eden's still asleep. And, and then we find, you know... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to jump a scene ahead. Uh, Simon and Andrew, uh, they're arguing about paying the taxes. Simon's like, I got a plan. And Andrew's like, I don't even hear it because if it has to do with taxes, I know you're going to do something stupid. And then we find out that Matthew is their tax collector, which, you know, not necessarily direct biblical evidence for that. Um, but man, it would, uh, <laughs> ha- has to be a, a really good assumption, like an, a very educated, well-reasoned assumption. They're not going to have a whole bunch of tax collectors for that reason, region. Their harbor is Capernaum for Peter and Andrew. To, Matthew's their tax collector. Like you can almost say that with a, a, a level of certainty. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, ultimately, Andrew doesn't have enough money to cover uh, the taxes, and he's also delinquent, so there's all these extra fees. And so Simon's like, no, look, I'm going to step in. He, you know, he says, like, hey, I've got this arrangement with Quintus, and Matthew's like, no way, that's that's completely, like, there's no way. I'm going to verify this. That can't be true. He's like, no, 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 trust me, trust me. And Andrew's like, what's going on here? So everyone, you know, is confused and... uh and then, you know, we, we see Simon and Andrew sitting in the bar and, and they're, they're talking about like, oh, Simon's going to turn in the merchant vessels. And Andrew's like, whoa, wait a minute. Those are our people. And he's like, I'm desperate. I only care about you and Eden. And so uh, kind of kind of some struggle there. Again, I hate the Peter Beck story, but nevertheless. Yeah. So uh, meanwhile, we see Nicodemus addressing the uh, the other teachers, and he's justifying his decisions. You know, he's like, I shouldn't have gone to the Red Quarter. Uh, you know, the, the only—she's beyond human aid. 
lots of lots of uh oh and earlier in in uh, that previous scene nicodemus has said you know only god himself could have drawn those demons out so we see you know lots of uh lots of setup for jesus to come in and and uh you know do do his thing as as god or whatever so um you know uh, really really laying it out on the table for you there nicodemus is yeah and again a great representation of the pharisaic worldview like the words out of his mouth what he's saying what he's teaching what he thinks how he very very fantastic this that is how pharisees as far as we understand it in that in that portion of history that's how they they saw and read the world yeah absolutely so then we see mary uh walking to the edge of a cliff she's looking over down to the water you kind of get the implication that she's maybe going to jump off the cliff um, but she lets the fragments of the of the paper uh, fly off in the wind, and then and then there's this bird flying around overhead that that kind of gets her attention in whatever way. So she she follows the bird, ends up following it uh, back to the bar, and um, you know some some guy comes up. She's sitting at the bar talking to Soul, and some other guy comes up and, and propositions her, and she's like, "No, leave me alone." He's like, "Fine." She smells anyway. And, uh, and then Mary, you know, asked for a drink and he's like, well, wait a minute, hold on. And she's like, no, I need this. So she takes the drink and then, and then the key moment of the episode, uh, Jesus reaches out his hand and puts it on top of top of her hand and, and says that drink is not for you. So then, you know, she's, the demons are going crazy, obviously. So she's, uh, you know, she's getting headaches. She's running out of the bar and Jesus follows her out. And I love this. Like he's, he's just like, he's not running after her. He's going just the speed that's appropriate. He's being compassionate. He's being gentle. And, and he just calls out her name. Mary. Mary of Magdala. And uh, she drops her cup and turns around and says, how do you know me? How do you know my name? And then he quotes that Isaiah 43 passage and, and she just collapses into his chest. And whoo, I, uh, you know, I watched this episode twice, right? The first time I watched it, I just, just watched it through and I'm like, wow, that was powerful. And the second time I'm like taking notes, you know, I'm not like really cued in, like really close to the episode. I'm just like, you know trying to figure out what we're going to talk about and and man i just like lost it the second time i watched it like it's just such a powerful scene yeah absolutely they really wrote that well um you know me i'm not a fan of the whole god goggles thing if if we're saying like oh he's god he knows all of her backstory Uh, i prefer to see more humanity in jesus than that but uh phenomenally written and directed uh scene and i have to always like counterbalance the whole my aversion to God goggles with the fact that Jesus was also a person of deep prayer. The series will like indicate that. And I'm a big, I'm a big believer in mysticism that God speaks to us, that he reveals to us that there are even people that are more attuned to listening to the voice of God in prayer, um, hearing things, having a more prophetic word. Um, There's no reason that, that Jesus couldn't have, I have prayer partners in my life that talk to me all all the time about things that there is no way they would know 
if the Holy Spirit didn't lead them to know these things. So what, of course that could happen with Jesus on an even greater level. If that can happen with my prayer partners, how much more can it happen with Jesus? So just because he knows things doesn't mean it's God goggles, but um, phenomenal closing scene. Fantastic. I got me. It's gotten me now multiple times. I watched it with my kids. I've watched it on my own. I watched it to review probably four different times. Uh, great scene every time. Have you ever watched The West Wing? Uh, yes. So that first episode where where you know like they keep talking around the idea of the president being there and then you know i think it's like halfway through that episode but when he finally enters he enters quoting you know i am the lord your god blah 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 it's this big powerful entrance and this big booming voice i just juxtaposed to to this entrance like jesus just comes in quietly puts his hand on her sees her speaks to her says her name like it's just uh, an incredible like picture of of Jesus's compassion and and his love for people. So what a great point! Yeah, absolutely, love that. Yeah, I think we have probably talked long enough. We've <laughs> our episode is almost as long as the episode of the Chosen. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. I think uh, are they all? Are they? Well, the second episode I know is a little bit shorter. So I'm, yeah, I'm assuming maybe not, they're not all quite as long. But yeah. Anyway, I think that does it for this episode, Marty. I don't know if you have any extra thoughts before we close. I think we're good. I'll look forward to the next one. All right. Well, you can find Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. And you can find more details about the show at BamaDiscipleship.com. The podcast show, by the way, not the TV show that we're talking about. Uh, We do have a few links in the show notes uh, if you want to go to um, the official website for The Chosen. Or uh, we've got Wikipedia and IMDb links if you want to look at uh you know who the actors are or whatever so that's all in the show notes all at baymodeception.com so thank you for joining us on the baymod podcast we'll talk to you again soon the roof people are calling me yep hello brent billings <sighs> spam call put that crap on do not disturb <laughs> if it's actually the roof people i need to talk to them